We're going to bring y'all into our huddle. You are it. The Warriors Huddle with me, Bram. No, Marcus, today. In fact, we weren't even supposed to record. We were supposed to wait till Wednesday, but I was just too fired up, man. We had to talk about Game 6 at least a little bit, so it's going to be just two of us to start, but joining me per usual, we do have our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? It is going remarkably well. It's hella fired up that you did use the normal open because I wanted to get all excited, and I I should say we are inviting Mark Medina into the pod. He's going to be our main guest today, but... Mark is always professional and kind of objective. We don't have time for professionalism, dude. We've got one of the best wins of all time to discuss. So I figured you and I would shoot the shit a little bit and then we'll welcome Mark in. And let me start it this way, man. That game six win, I'm gonna I'm gonna just use hyperbole. I think it was the most satisfying win during the dynastic era, if not the best win. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I wouldn't even call that hyperbolic. <laughs> I think you're right on the money. I, I, I mean, I, you posted that in the Slack channel. I can't think of another one that f- was more satisfying. And it was pretty clear that the Warriors felt the same way. I am thrown back by your like, immediate second use of the word hyperbole. I didn't even know that there was another version of it. Like, I, I was going to make fun of you, and then I realized, no, oh, my God, he's just smarter than me, and he knows how to use this word better. So I want you to cut hyper hyperbolic. What did you say? Whatever it was, I want you to cut that because it's making me feel a little bit totally. Stupid. Okay, I appreciate that. No worries. Um, I think it is absolutely the best win. Uh, And let's put it this way. There have been all of these nagging concerns, these rocks that Warriors haters have thrown towards the Warriors dynasty. And we duck them and we pretend like we don't care, but we kind of do. And this win basically addressed every single one of them, right? There's a suggestion that the Warriors only won because of other teams' injuries. Well, bullshit. They said that Steph Curry never came through in the big moments. Let's go ahead again and say bullshit. They've said that the Warriors' success came because they had their own run of injury luck. Again, bullshit. They said that Clay doesn't come through during the playoffs. Double bullshit. They even said that a team featuring at least, at least three other future Hall of Famers could not win without Kevin Durant. And again, bullshit. And let's add that in addition to addressing all of these ridiculous, unfounded shots they've taken at the Warriors, that one win also single-handedly destroyed their biggest rival. Hmm. It took this team who has been telling everybody we have one goal, we've, we've built this team with one purpose, to beat the Warriors, and then they had to watch the Warriors without the best player on earth celebrate on their home court. I can't remember another win that checked off that many pieces. You know what I mean? Like, there's the OKC Game 6. That's what everyone throws back in my face. But I think this one just had more pieces to it. Yeah, there's a couple of things that, that for me, uh, make me agree, right? That we're the prohibitive favorites going into the series, starting in October the whole time, and then we go, we lose KD, and then now we're the underdogs to this game. And, like remembering what that felt like to just be the underdog a little bit just made the win so much sweeter. And then the other thing that I think is really important is um, there was a narrative last year of, oh, okay, well, if Chris Paul hadn't gotten hurt, right, maybe Houston would have pulled this out. And I think it just says so much that, you know, first of all, also that Iguodala was such a key component of this series. And so it's like, yeah, him being out for two games at the end 
really did matter, everybody. It turns Thank out Kerr you. was on the money. Exactly yeah, right. Right. Like, oh, surprise. A brilliant coach was smarter than the rest of you idiots. Um, and then on top of it, quite obviously, we had our best player go down, and they're a perfectly healthy team and still couldn't hang. It was a play that, or a game, that it was almost like having a conversation with someone you hate and winning every single angle of it. You know, I mean, it really was. They, them saying Andre's not important. <laughs> Sit back and watch this. Them talking about the importance of Chris Paul and having yeah. him be there and watching it fall apart. The, there was just an element to this that I don't think we're ever going to be able to see. In fact, let me put it this way. If you broke this down as a movie script, before it happened, if I sat down and I wrote it, at some point, you're going to be like, wait a minute, man. Like, this is, it's getting a little bit ridiculous, right? So you take this unbelievable favored team and you rip out their, their supposed best player. Now it's left to the homegrown all-stars who, by the way, also have all these nagging concerns, these whispers, you know, it's Draymond's health, maybe not there. Andre's getting up in age. Steph doesn't always show up. And then they not only deliver, but before they get a chance to deliver, Steph, the, the hero of the story, goes over, has zero points in the half, and then comes screaming back in historic fashion to shut up, what, 20,000 people in a hostile arena. Like, there's no movie could fit in that amount of things and you'd still feel like it was a documentary. You know what I mean? Like, it's impossible and it wasn't even a documentary. This is just what happened. It's just how it played out. Unbelievably satisfying. Oh, oh, so to the point that you might even consider this a Disney movie, am I right? Yeah, there you go. I feel like you're taking a shot at my amazing analogy last week. <laughs> yeah, know, no, I mean, it does feel exactly like that. Take. I don't yeah, know what no, it's about. not original. It's also a little bit rude, and I don't mind telling you to go <laughs> f yourself. <laughs> Let me um, distill it. I have a bunch of moments I've pulled out. So what I want to do is figure out the most satisfying moment or thing that came out of the series or the game six. I've got some candidates, all right? But feel free. We can reach outside of those candidates if we want. Here's what I got. And let's just say right up front, we're going to take Curry's redemptive second half off the table. It's too easy. I mean, 24 in the fourth quarter, that probably is the most satisfying. So here are my options. One, Thompson's huge first half, 21 points in the first half, basically the reason they were tied despite being down three All-Stars, if you count Steph's disappearance. The look Paul and Harden had as time locked out, and like they just, they looked, it was like an amazing combination between confusion and pain and just the amazing knowledge of knowing you just didn't have it. You just weren't enough, which which I really enjoyed. Uh, here's kind of a random one. When my boy soft JJ, Jonas Arebko, came in, fouled the shit out of Austin Rivers, and then when Austin gave him a look like that's illegal, he mouthed, yeah, that was a foul. You know, it was just like, yeah, call it, dude. Yep, I punched you right in your face. Go ahead and call that. Strangely satisfying. Um, Iguodala taking Houston's entire defensive premise, the idea of, well, let somebody else beat them, and then shoving it right up their ass, going for five three-pointers, even though that's what they wanted. And then uh, I'll finally say Draymond Green, Um, you know, just throughout the series. Because not only did we see the return of Draymond the playmaker, there was a couple of moments in that game six where he could have lost his cool. Some, Some bad fouls here or there, some altercations he had with the refs, and he didn't lose his cool, man. He kept his together. So those are my options. I'm going to go for Jonas Jarebko going after Nepo. As you may remember, <laughs> that's my nickname for Austin Rivers. But who do you got? What was your most satisfying moment? That does not surprise me at all, Graham. <laughs> Would you like me to liken it to a Disney movie? Or I can all just hold that in pocket. Okay, okay. Um, a, couple, a couple of... Uh, 
um, of other ones to throw out. I loved um, just the bench production in general, and I know you kind of touched on it with Jonas coming in, but like what we got out of everybody that came off the bench I, was just flooring, and especially because did everybody foul Nepo or just that was just Jarrett? Oh, oh, you mean everybody. beyond that? Oh, okay. Oh gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Um, it's a good clarifying question. I appreciate you making sure that we I get to the back. bottom of it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, look, I think that's a that's a really really important story that um, kind of feeds into this the, the narrative that you were bringing up of everything that they were throwing our way. We had an answer for in Game Six, and this is another one. We said they said that our bench was astoundingly thin, uh, uh, not when we need it to yeah. be. Thank you very much. That's exactly right. Well, and there's been shots taken at Kerr throughout the year. The rotations he was playing, the people he had out there, why Steph's minutes were, or why weren't they where they should have been? And what we saw was that Kerr had a plan. Kerr was playing people during the regular season to make sure that they were ready for that moment on Friday night. May have cost them some wins during the regular season. It may have cost them some fans in Dub Nation. But ultimately, it was the right call because these dudes had minutes. They had played. They had something to lean on when they came out and played the giant role that you're currently talking about. But give me your favorite. What sticks out? Is it the bench? Is it Harden ultimately losing? What's the most satisfying thing for you? Um... The thing, the thing that sticks out is Clay Thompson with the finger guns. <laughs> Why? I, it is just such a perfect encapsulation of everything that brings me joy about this team. Clay is consistently level-headed. You know, he can fire off huge games and big moments, but it's never going to be something that. Um, that sparks like a huge reaction, right? I mean, I feel like even, you know, it's not until after in the locker room, right, when they're celebrating and popping champagne that you see him go crazy. But on the court, I mean, he just feels the momentous importance of that shot. And he turns around and just like, the finger gun, it's just such a perfect reaction to everything that has happened. I've had sports goals over my life. I'd like to have made a uh, game-winning free throw. It never happened for me. I wanted to go and watch a game at Madison Square Garden. Again, never happened for me. Most importantly, I wanted to use finger guns live at some point. Hopefully a sporting event. So far, it still hasn't happened. Maybe during this podcast. I mean, we're not playing a sport, but maybe I'll be able to achieve my finger gun goal here. I don't know. We'll find out together. So far, I'm not feeling that finger gunny, but we could get there. Yeah, it's it's only going to go up from here. I feel it. <laughs> I don't know if you listened to any of the press conference after the game. I, in fact, have listened to it three times. Which, And as long as I'm making stupid, weirdo admissions, I've also watched the game two and a half times. Watched it the first time. Watched it a second time in its entirety. But I was hammered drunk at a bar, so I'm going to just call that as a half. And then I watched it a third time over the weekend. And... I started watching it as kind of like a joke and was, was rooting also kind of like a joke, like as if it was just happening for the first time. I would, I would cheer occasionally. I mean, literally like stand up and cheer. By the fourth quarter, I was all the way in. It was as if I had never seen it before and I celebrated <laughs> like they won the championship. And neither of those things were true and I still had the time of my life. Also, I'm a grown-ass man, Maxime, so <laughs> you may want to factor that in, but uh, I'm burying the lead. One of the upsides of having listened to every syllable of the press conference three times is that I was able to pull out some quotes. So the second portion of this, what an amazing win, early part of this podcast, I want to pick out the most satisfying quote from the press conference, all right? I've got sound on two of them, so let me read you the third one I wasn't able to find any sound on. This is Joe Lacob on the Splash Brothers. Quote, so much fun. You kind of expect it. That's who they are. They've done it now so many times. Mark Jackson 
of all people. He called them the greatest backcourt of all time or greatest shooting backcourt of all time. And they've lived up to that. And they're clutch. They're amazing individuals. They're both great guys. They're just terrific people. I love that for a lot of reasons. All the superlatives are also right on the money. But I also like that he found a way to throw in a barb against Mark Jackson. That <laughs> so after he good. gives him a quote, he stops and goes, of all people. like he's, <laughs> We're all thinking the same thing. Like, did you really have to quote Mark Jackson? <laughs> Turns out that Joe Lacob has the same hate in his heart for uh, our former coach. But let's give you a couple other options here. Here is Mike D'Antoni after the game. First of all, they're, they're champions. They come in here down a man, but the way they shot the ball and the way they played, they're smart, and uh, that's why they won rings. And we got to get there somehow. Mike, how, um, how tough is this for you guys, James, Chris, everybody, knowing how hard you fought the last few seasons and, and how difficult this team has been to beat? Well, this one's going to leave a mark. This is, not, this is not something you just get over with. You know, I'm definitely not going to get over it in this press conference or tomorrow or the next day, but this one hurts. Um, we didn't play our best, and to beat these guys, you got to play your best. There's a few things about that one that I love. So, I mean, obviously, hearing an opponent like sound suicidal like that, there's, there's a real upside. But the thing that I drew from it, the satisfaction that I enjoyed is he's the coach, man. So, theoretically, one of his roles now is to get back into that locker room remind them that they were right there, that they were in every one of these games, right? That they could have won one of the ones in Oakland, that they're not too far away, that this team is returning, that we have all this motivation. We've got this whole off season. We can still do it. And instead what he's doing is going in front of the world, admitting how badly this hurts and using a vocal inflection that suggests he knows they are I find it remarkable that there isn't any chatter around um, the stability of his coaching job. Oh, wow. What do you mean stability of his? I mean, he should, there should be questions about whether or not he stays there Correct. or why. Yeah. Well, just that seems to be the tendency in this league. For example, Brett Brown with Philly, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at immediately as soon as they lose that game by two points off of a ridiculous yeah. bounce off that ridiculous Kawhi shot. I mean, you know, they go into overtime. It seemed like Philly had yeah. some momentum. Okay, whatever. This yeah. is a Warriors pod. I just feel like immediately there were calls for Brett Brown's job. Why? It's like, why? It's his first year. Like, chill out on yeah, the guy, you sure. know? Whereas D'Antoni has had time to perfect this scenario, not just in Houston, yeah. but also in Phoenix. And so he comes over and like, look, yeah, fine. You don't immediately figure it out. Chris Paul gets hurt, whatever. But now they had a full team and they just they couldn't even pull it off yep. and it didn't even go to seven games and we didn't even have Kevin Durant it just doesn't seem like he is capable of um, doing the Daryl Morey high statistics analysis approach and actually succeeding and so I'm wondering maybe he's not the right man for this job one of the things I love about this and I'm going to address what you just said but I think Houston is locked into their exact roster and this exact team with this exact coach going yeah. into the future but let's start by addressing what you've said Really what Mike D'Antoni has done is built a car that only he can drive. There, there's mm. a giant upside in creating your own system and then having a GM who trusts that system so much he populates it. They can fire him now, but whoever the hell comes in is running the exact same system because this personnel dictates exactly that. And with the Chris Paul contract being so shit burgery, they can't readjust. This yeah. team is what it is, you know? And so they now are looking at the prospect of going right back out and running right back into the Warriors buzzsaw without a whole lot of giant changes. But I do have a third quote for you. This one comes from Chris Paul, who sounds like somebody just repeatedly punched him in the dick. 
Hey, Chris, how can you um, put this into words? I mean, I, you've been around and you guys have fought hard. What do you say after the game? Uh, like they this? just outplayed us. You know, they was played smarter than us. They made the big plays when we didn't. Uh, too many turnovers, and they just they just beat us. Chris, what'd you think of? Sorry, over here. What'd you think of the way that you guys uh, defended Curry? There were times when he was real quiet. Gets kind of hot at the end. What do you think of the way you guys? Yeah, defended? they just started at the end running ball screen with him and Draymond, and Draymond was slipping it. We let Steph get a couple butt naked layups. Um, Clay moving, hitting big shots, and it's funny because everybody, you know. Even Shump talk about it all the time. You say, make the other guys beat you. And, you know, Iguodala, how many threes he hit? Five. Five out of eight. You know, you say, make the other guys beat you. And they damn sure did that. <laughs> oh, Chris. Uh, let's see. What do I like about that? I love the phrase, butt naked layup. Oh, me too. Never heard that before. Yeah, I mean, I a real solid one. I plan, in addition to dropping finger guns at some point, also using the phrase, butt naked layup. Uh, I love the huge pause between the first and second cushion because it's obvious this room full of reporters can recognize by his vocal inflection that he is so depressed this is going to be tough and nobody wants to ask the second question at all, at all, at all. Um, and I, I also like how he throws out how many threes did Iguodala hit? And you think it's probably just a exasperated throwaway comment. But no, they looked it up. Somebody was leaned over to him and said, oh, it's five, Chris. And he had to go back into the mic and say, five. Yeah, they sure as hell did that. <laughs> That's just so brutal. And I mean, five threes is an astounding number for Andre Iguodala. Did you, at any point, did you start thinking they were going in or were you, did you question every one of the shots he threw up? I'm, I hate to say it, but I questioned every single one. <laughs> I was like, no, he is not taking another. Yeah, okay, maybe on like make five, I started being like, well, at this point, it's all golden. I am such a schizophrenic bastard. It's like on this podcast, it is all optimism and light, and I mean it, and I feel it. During the games, if something poorly happens, like if the Warriors don't look like they're firing all citizens or citizens on all cylinders, I don't take it well, man. I scream things that people can never take back. There is a whole lot of no, 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 yes moments with Andre and a whole lot of other players on uh, <laughs> on Game Six. So it's good, maybe that we're not doing a whole lot of live podcasts during. In the games. <laughs> um, so where do we land? Most satisfying quote for you? I mean, there's a, a to me, there's a short term and a long term answer. The short term is D'Antoni because he is um, the sort of uh, press figurehead of that organization. I mean, Daryl Morey is the statistician behind the scenes, but D'Antoni is the one on the front lines, no. and he is just so clearly defeated. Just done yep. and that felt so good to watch I mean I watched the whole press conference um, after the game because I was just you know that was my way of yep. celebrating this um, so that's the short term but the more I think about it the Lakeup quote is so important because we were starting to hear rumors about you know Clay maybe looking elsewhere if he doesn't get the max offer and what is implied by that is maybe there's something coming from the front office that they might not offer him the max immediately and he deserves to go out and look at his options and Lakeup is so 100% in on Clay Thompson right now and that makes me so freaking happy Clay Thompson was doing the finger guns at Joe Lacob, and Joe Lacob gave him the finger guns right back. And they have had a bunch of like mutual admiration society quotes <sighs> since that happened. Uh, for me, it's Chris Paul. I mean, I've been really, really digging into how much I hate his hateable face throughout this series. And 
to finally hear him be so exasperated by a loss that he has trouble getting through something he has done for, what, the better part of 15 years in press conferences is fantastic. And the other thing that's really cool about this win, it's not a new take, but it's a reminder. Sports are such a unifying force. You know, so I'm walking around now since Friday night, and I'm normally speaking wearing some kind of Warriors gear. In this instance, I was wearing a hat for Saturday and Sunday. And every time I saw somebody wearing Warriors gear, we didn't talk. It's not like we created a friendship, but we shared at least a look. In some instances, a nod, a wry smile, something. But in that moment, me and that complete stranger shared something. We absolutely did. And then we know we'd, we'd part out, but I, I probably had a hundred of those interactions throughout the course of this weekend. And I, in, in some ways, it's a weird way to, to say it on a podcast we're doing, but in some ways I'm an introvert. I don't like new people. I, I, don't, I try to kind of to stay within the friend group I have created and to be able to even slightly expand my horizons and welcome in all these other people without saying a word to them is really cool and super unique, man, because it, I, I know I've said this before, but th- this is a television show. You know, I don't, I don't find other people who watch Game of Thrones and wryly smile at them because we've shared something. That, that doesn't happen. But with this team, with this sport, with that game, we do. We reached a, a, something that is special, and, and it should be said. A hundred percent. And I think actually the Game of Thrones example is a good one because... Uh, I did not enjoy the last episode. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so you should. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to give you any spoilers <laughs> out, but I'm just saying that, like you know, all things considered, it. it I I don't want to go out and find people to talk about that with, right? I'm kind of just want to brood on it, whatever. It's the exact opposite with the Warriors. That made me feel so good, and I I know how I felt, and I know that is shared by every other Warriors fan out there. And so every time I see somebody, I know that we're sharing a right. similar feeling right. of just joy, and and I want to share that with. Them. So when you came in wearing a Game of Thrones shirt, giving me finger guns, that wasn't you trying to talk about Game of Thrones. That was something totally different. Oh, I I got the look. You're like. Fuck you that's guy. okay. You picked you it up. Talking about you were you were able to pick that. Okay, that's. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, am yeah. really happy yeah. to hear that. Let's uh, let's turn to our boy Mark Medina. A quick thing between you and I. A while back, and I can't remember when the hell it was, but Mark told us a story about how Steph had suffered another hand injury. This was obviously before this one, and Mark went up to him to say what's up, shook his hand, and almost aggravated it. So I plan on bringing that up real early oh, in this. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see. Oh. We'll see. I'm hoping I'm remembering it right because it might not have been the hand. So we'll find out. We'll find out in about. 20 seconds there. I'm pretty sure it's the hand. I I remember that too. There you go. We can both be wrong together. Let's (laughs) give Mark a call. It is my great pleasure to re-welcome back into the huddle the current Bay Area News Group's Golden State expert and a guy who enjoys unique insider's access to this Warriors dynasty on a daily basis, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? Bram, it's always good to talk with you. I mean, uh, for somehow, some way, I mean, you're in races and that bumps. <laughs> well, well, we'll see how the first five minutes go, man. We, we've got a few other, yeah. uh, few other guests. Uh, by the way, like, how, should I just like stop with this joke, or do you enjoy me perpetuating it? I, I love all perpetuated humor, Mark. I think you should keep bringing <laughs> it. And and in the uh, in the vein of perpetuated humor, and in also a serious question, have you had an opportunity to aggravate Steph's hand injury yet, or are you waiting for for later in the week? Oh, I see. So see what I did the there. Do you see him. what I did there? Well, wait. Do you, so do you think I'm the one responsible for his dislocated finger and not the fact that he 
blocked one of Clint Capella's shots? You know, I, I, I didn't want to say it and let the record reflect that I didn't say it, but now that you've put it on the table, I mean, I haven't been able to slow down the replay to see whether or not Mark Medina did in fact storm the court and screw up Steph's finger. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will tell you this. Well, first of all, like all their charges are incorrect and false up innocent. But what was interesting, I, I, I chatted with Steph after game six of the closeout series against the Rockets, and he said that this is something that he's going to feel pain for a while until basically he rests. Now, he got two days of rest this weekend, and we talked with him at practice you know, on Monday, and he was saying it feels better, but he didn't really know what it meant because he wants to see how it is in an actual game where, you know, players are whacking at it. But he did not say that I was whacking at it. He was saying <laughs> other guys on the court are. So I think if you would ask Steph Curry, he would also defend my character. I love the idea that if we see the video from that, it's going to show you reaching out and trying to hit his hand multiple times and it just keeps moving it out of the oh, way, wow. you know, at the last second. So, um, but let me ask you, I was going to do a Steph um, question later on. Let's just do it now. As far as his health, we certainly know about the finger, and you just you know you just gave us a great update on it. Is there anything else that you think he's dealing with? I mean, outside of the normal you know aches and pains and nicks that any player would be dealing with at this time of the year, is there anything else going on? Uh, not that I know of. I mean, obviously he entered uh, the, the first or the second round series with you know having a, a little bit of an ankle issue, but as far right. as I know. That's all healed. It's really just the finger, and he's been putting tape on it. He has a splint. They've been experimenting on to what extent should they relieve the pressure, to what extent should Steph uh, try to test it out. Yeah. I think he got whacked on a few times, and he was literally putting the hand behind his back, so he won't have trouble with the ball anymore. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's it as far as I know. But when I talked with Bruce Frazier, the worst assistant coach, um, he was saying that it's affected him a lot. Like he didn't want to break down or even know like these shooting slumps that he's had. Is it all directly related to finger or the defense? Probably a combination of both. But he said it's definitely affected just his overall rhythm and packing of things. Yeah, it makes sense. I'll say just from a fan perspective and almost like watching a movie, towards the end of Gen 6, when he did bang it, when he aggravated it, and we could see it, right? It keeps holding it. It keeps doing all the things you've alluded to. And then he'd go back out and have to dribble with that hand. Every time it happened, I was wincing you know what I mean and like just it was involuntary like I, I could only imagine how much it hurt and it just adds to the legend of Steph but let's get other injury updates out of the way um, KD what are you hearing on him uh, you know where where is his calf when can we expect him possibly back yeah so I think there was a lot being made of I guess just because the rocket series is over that maybe this means that Kevin Durant can come back at some point but you remember when he injured his uh, you know, right calf at, at the end of Game 5, the day after, they said they were going to reevaluate him in a week, and that's, that still stands. So he's going to be reevaluated Thursday. Okay. So that already pencils him out for Game 1 on Tuesday against Portland. It, it basically pencils him out for Game 2 as well because yep. you know, the normal criteria is like what they're evaluating on Thursday isn't whether he can play, it's what what can he do to start rehabbing? Okay. Uh, these guys, you know, even if it's the playoffs, Steve Kerr's not going to just throw them into a game right after an injury. 
Um, and that, I think, kind of also applies to DeMarcus Cousins. Like, I know, you know, uh, Mark Stein from the New York Times has mentioned that DeMarcus was eyeing a return at some point in the Western Conference Finals. And that's all well and good, but that's just DeMarcus eyeing the return. The Warriors training staff aren't eyeing that because huh. right now he's only been cleared for spot shooting and some conditioning. And when I watched practice today, I mean, it's not like he was showing anything for the worse, but he's pretty slow right now. Like He's not doing a lot of things. So if I had a guess, he's not going to be in the Western Conference Finals. But they haven't. They're going to evaluate him next week to see if he can advance to his, sure. you know, the next stages of rehab. But you know, if he is going to wind up coming back in the postseason, I think it's going to be for the NBA Finals. I'm really worried about Boogie's return whenever it is, um, and this is coming just from me. It's not something I've heard from the team, and certainly not Mark, nor is it Maxime, but. If Boogie's focus was only to make sure that he helped this team do whatever the hell he needed to do to win a championship, then welcome him back, man, of course. But this injury, I think, puts that into question a little bit. Not that he's the kind of dude to be selfish, but I think it's just this personal nature, right? The human nature to want to come out and show the rest of the teams that he's still worthy of a contract, even though it's not enough time to be able to establish it. And that means taking a ton of shots and probably playing more minutes than the Warriors want. And it also means a change in the way they play, you know? We, so I, I'm not really excited for that to happen. And it sounds like, fortunately, it's a bridge we can jump off down the road when we actually come to it. But let me ask you this, Mark, because you are the perfect guy for it. So one of the kind of entertaining things that came out of the Game 6 uh, win is the reunited conversation of how good are the Warriors without KD, right? And we, we all look back to 2015 and who was this team beforehand. And I think it is ludicrous to say that the team is better without Kevin Durant for obvious reasons. He's probably the best player on earth. But I am going to say, and this is my question to you, see whether or not you agree with me. I think this team is more entertaining without Kevin Durant. And let me oversimplify it with an analogy. If a sprinter hurt his leg, right, and couldn't run as fast, that sprinter isn't as good hurt as he is healthy. He's not a better runner. But if that sprinter with a hurt leg wins the race, you know, it's a much more entertaining storyline. I just love watching it. And we watched that play out in game six. Without KD, these guys are David, not Goliath. And there's just something that's more exciting about it. And that's before we even get to the actual style of basketball. But from what you have watched, and again, this is just entertainment, not better, but entertainment. Do you think they are more entertaining without KD? You know, that's still a tough question for me to answer, and here's why. I think, no question, game six against Houston was the most entertaining game of the season, but I think that that was one of those things that it's a flash in the pan. Yeah, Like, it almost reminded me when I was covering the Lakers when Kobe Bryant would be out for an injury and there'd be all this concern of, oh, my gosh, like, what do they do? And everyone for the first one or two games just plays out of their mind, like, the, the odds of sustaining that are sure. really high. Like, they took basically the equivalent of a few cans of Red Bull and then just went out and played. But eventually that Red Bull dies down and then you kind of crash. So I think it helps that Portland's not as tough of a, a, a matchup against the Rockets. But the idea that the Warriors are going to replicate what they showed in Game 6, I think, frankly, is just asking for too much. I right. mean... For sure, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson 
they should be getting their shots going. I mean, with exception of like Steph shouldn't be scoreless in the first half, but like 33 points, uh, I think that's obviously something he can do on a game to game basis. Clay can do that. Draymond, Andre. But there's a lot of things that just kind of seemed like, can you really do that on a night to night basis? Like, I mean, even Andre playing really well, hitting five threes in the game, Sean Livingston all of a sudden putting 11 points. Uh, Kevon Looney is good, but like having guys like Jordan Bell and Quinn Cook play substantial minutes without screwing up, like it seemed like the stars really had to align perfectly for all that to happen. And I think the reason why it happened, it was the first game without Kevin. They knew if a game goes to game seven, like all bets are off, even with home court advantage. And the Rockets, frankly, were tired. Like it's the same old story with James Harden and Chris Paul you know, regressing as the playoffs continue to go. So I don't even want to say it's definite they're entertaining just because I don't know how long you can carry that over knowing the makeup of this team right now. I think you're right, which sucks because I was so proud of that sprinters analogy. Like I worked on it and I wrote it out and stuff. And then the second you started talking, I think you're on the money. And I think the way we can distill it, the easiest question is this. Do you think a KD-less Warriors team could beat Houston in a seven-game series, not just in a game six? And I think what you're saying is no, right? Well, not necessarily. I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Like I think it would have gone seven games. I think – you know, if there is a benefit of that, is that the Warriors wouldn't be as inclined to sometimes take off plays or, heaven hmm. forbid, even take off games. And I don't think they took off games against Houston, but there are definitely games where all of a sudden they're losing the rebound battle substantially and not closing out well on the perimeter, where with Kevin being out, like every player to a man felt like they have zero margin for error. Sure. And you know, you would, as a Warriors fan, I'm sure you would wish, hey, why can't these guys do this all the time during the regular season, the playoffs? Like, there's so many games where you feel like, do they really give a you-know-what? But Steve Kerr really made a good point that even if all these guys maxed out their effort at some point, like, that probably wouldn't be a good thing because they just burn out yeah, sure. by the time, like, they get real games matter. So as far as, like, a hypothetical series against Houston I think they could definitely still win but it would just be hard to predict like I think if you would simulate it like a hundred times like in NBA 2k you'd like get completely different results each time I've spent this time trying to come up with another sprinter analogy, and I came up with nothing. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Unfortunately, I was only good for one, uh, and I think you're right. Let's move on to the Portland stuff, right? So we're all celebrating. I'll keep it personal. I'm celebrating as if the Warriors have already won the finals. We are so worried about the Houston series that now that it's behind us, Portland has already kind of become an asterisk, which is ridiculous because they are having their own unbelievable run, and Dame Lillard is watching his own ascension into you know the top ranks of basketball. So let me start by asking this. Why can Portland win this series? Not why they should be favored, but are there any reasons out there why we should be worried that they're good enough to beat us? Um, yeah, with the caveat that I'm not, but if I want to go along with this, I think there's three things. Um, the absence of Kevin Durant and to a lesser extent to Marcus Cousins catches up to the Warriors where, you know, maybe the uh maybe, you know, Steph and Clay aren't hitting so many shots and all you know, the bench isn't suddenly being magnificent and mirroring strength and numbers, but a la twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. 
Um, and then I think because it's the opponent and the Warriors feel like, you know, to some extent they, they had their toughest test in the playoffs against the Houston Rockets, they start going regular season mode. Yep. And then you have Damian Lillard just playing out of his mind as well as C.J. McCollum. And I think that would be a crazy story. Like, I was just talking to his high school coach, Damian Lillard from Oakland High, and he was saying, like, just think about this. Like, how crazy of a story would it be? Damian Lillard grew up in Oakland, and he's the one that shuts down Oracle, yep. like, in an elimination game. His last game is the last game in Oracle Arena ever. Um, that being said, I just don't see that happening. Like, I, if I had to give my prediction, I think the Warriors win at five. I think Portland wins in game three because of all the usual elements of, you know, Warriors will be up 2-0. Maybe they left their guard down. Portland feels the urgency. They're at home. And Damian Willard is always due for a really good game. But, frankly, I, I feel like the Warriors, because they got, got through that gauntlet with Houston, they're fully rested as opposed to Portland that just beat Denver in seven right. games. And at some point, Kevin Durant will come back. Maybe not right away, but I think in the middle of the series, it's just going to be too much. Is there any animosity between these two teams? I mean, one of the things that made the Houston series so entertaining, right, is this background knowledge that these two teams do not like one another. And I specialize yeah. in disliking the other team. The only thing I dislike about Portland is C.J. McCollum's Hitler mustache. Like, there's nothing, like, that I really can build up. So, I mean, for you, is there anything between these two? Like, I, I looked into their history. I found nothing. I found maybe the beef between Clay and... Go, go ahead. Yeah, you need, to do more, you, need to, you need to do more research. The, the thing that you just talked and you're about to talk about, the Zach Collins. Yeah, Zach Collins. Beef. Okay, like, well, you can't give me crap about saying I didn't do the research if I was just about to bring that specific thing up. And, okay, that's fair. I and and you. I'll sorry. show you even further research. Um, also, during last year's offseason, Kevin Durant went on Hitler Stash's podcast, I mean, CJ McCollum's podcast, and took some inadvertent shots, told them that Portland would never be up at the top and that CJ need not uh, concern himself with what happens at the top. I think CJ was pissed off about the boogie signing, but I mean, it was a playful podcast. It's not like they exchanged FU barbs. No, nah, you know how I felt, bro. I was hot. <laughs> I don't know if I was more mad than when you like, went to go. I think I was more mad. Why are you mad did. about this stuff? Bro, I'm in the league. What do you mean? Why am I mad about this? I mean, like, I'm in the Western Conference. I got to play you MFers all the time anyway as it is. Over and over again. We got eliminated by y'all a few times in the first round. So I'm I mean, looking so at cuz. I mean, you know you 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 know you guys aren't going to win a championship. Bro, we have the the team. <laughs> <laughs> we have the capabilities. Anything is possible. So what do you suggest? I suggest you just just keep playing, man, and don't worry about what goes on at the top of things. <laughs> we right there at the top of things. We was a third Relax. seed last year, bro. We was right there. We was just slightly below one and two. But then. how'd you play? Some unfortunate situations happened in the first round. How'd you play? Some unfortunate circumstances. Like happened. an eight seed. <laughs> we did not play. So is there animosity? Is, is the Zach Collins thing enough to fire up these teams? Well, okay. So I think the CJ McCollum stuff, like if there was a thing, it was all buried because I don't think it was even so much their exchanges on the podcast. Like that was very playful, but you may recall that once the podcast was published, yeah. there were some fans engaging with CJ on Twitter and CJ started ripping Durant's move to Golden State and calling it weak. And then, you know, <laughs> Kevin being the guy that he is on social media, right? He saw it 
And he, and that's what led to the comment of like, really? Like I just went on your effing podcast. That's right. Um, but, but I think that they, they've cleared it. I never noticed any like weird on court moments between the two. I know CJ McCollum was asked about it after, you know, at media availability today. And he kind of downplayed it. Um, but I really think the Zach Collins thing could turn into something like, I don't know what the genesis is about it. Like Clay hasn't talked about it, but. That last regular season game, it seemed like Zach was like really targeting Clay and just like wanting to get under his skin. And I saw Clay react two ways. I think he reacted dismissively, like, I'm Clay Thompson, who are you? But unlike a lot of times when you see Clay being very stoic and kind of apathetic to things, like he was chirping back. Yeah. And Zach must have been saying something to get Clay to react because he usually doesn't react at all. And then you may recall he was getting involved with a lot of guys. Like he was trying to be physical and then like Draymond Green fouled him and the officials called it a flagrant. And that led to the Steve Kerr incident with spiking the clipboard and getting ejected. So I do remember that after that game in Portland, I'm not going to name names because it was, you know, uh, it wasn't like an interview setting, but there were a lot of players that were just kind of like, who is this Zach Collins guy? Like what the hell is this deal? Um, so I, I could see that carrying over in the postseason. It could be fun. You might see uh, Clay and Zach rolling on the floor at some point. I also haven't heard what Zach Collins said, but his Hitler youth haircut is enough to make me hate that dude. So now you got two players. There's, there's a real hair theme that is, is emerging over in Portland. Uh, it's a third Reich theme that we probably don't have to go deep down into. Uh, do you anticipate, let me ask you, Maxime, do you think there'll be a fight between the teams? Yeah, I could see one happening. I could see Zach Collins getting up in Clay's grill. I could see Clay uh, shaking it off, but then I could see um, Draymond getting involved. I could see it getting out of hand. What you don't know, Mark, is that when that altercation happened, um, Maxime took real great offense to it and spent, I don't know, what felt like two hours screaming into the microphone about how much he hated Zach Collins. So that fight may be started by Mr. Stanette. If you guys see someone in a Warriors huddle gear, rush the floor you finally seen Maxime it just is what it is yeah I think that was a we had to release that podcast in three parts because it <laughs> broke the service it was a long one it was a long one Mark the Warriors I looked this up are unbelievable favorites in the series they're minus 500 for the series price so what that means is if I Dude. wanted to bet or I'm sorry if I wanted to win 100 I'd have to bet 500 to win it so let me ask you do you think that is justified and if so why Boy, explain these odds again. It's basically they're five to one favorites. Is is the simplest okay, version? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I think it's completely justified. I don't think that outside of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, like there's really anyone that matches up well with the Warriors. Um, and I think when you're looking at that backcourt, like one or two of them can get off, but you know the Warriors can kind of offset because offset that because they have these two guys named Steph Curry and Clay Thompson that can really shoot the ball well and I feel like Clay can limit one of those guys and the Warriors have shown specifically this season with CJ McCollum that she's kind of a non-factor against them yep. so again like the reason why I think it's going to be short is like the Warriors are so good and Damian can always have a 40-point night, and he'll be due for one of those, maybe in game three or, you know, whenever, but it's just not really enough. Like, it's it'll still be fun because all those, like, Damian's a really good scorer, and the Warriors are always entertaining. 
So I don't want to say like it's going to be boring basketball. It'll still be exciting, but I feel like the outcome's already predetermined. You know what I feel like the biggest concern is with the five to one odds. The five to What's one that? odds. Why would it I feel like mm. knowing that they are that um, strong of contenders might make them take their foot off the gas. Game one has let down written all over. I, I think the Warriors win it in probably six, maybe five. I think probably six. I also, and here's my random prediction for the series, I think they lose either games one or two. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to lose one wow. of comes. I think Damon's going to come out hot as hell. And then I think we probably sweep them in Portland. I still think we win the series. But, you know, it's just classic letdown game um, but the, you know everything that you said Mark is on the money all the objective factors to this all the talent evaluations land back on our side so there's no reason why it should last longer than five but uh, you know we never know you never you never know what's your prediction Maxine? yeah I, I mean I also want to take them in five I think the I don't think they're gonna drop one at Oracle um, I just don't think they have that in them. I think one more thing that's really important in all of this is that Rodney Hood injury. He's been an absolute key piece for them in this post-series run. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds like it's just uh, it's it's not a serious problem, and he's day-to-day now. Um, but, like, dude was pretty much crying on the floor when he went down. That looked like a pretty brutal injury, and I feel like he's not going to be able to come back 100%. So, like I said, I, I think Warriors in five. I would see us dropping game three in Portland, um, but that's about it. Mark, I skipped my favorite section, and I'm just realizing that now, and we really need your help with it. It's the off-the-court report. Um, and so I, I, I definitely, if you got a story from Houston, I will eat it up, and we need it. But I also want your clarity, because one of my favorite stories from the year is slowly being taken away from me, and I'm hoping that you can give it back. And it's the idea that right before game six, Chris Paul kicked Steph Curry off the practice court, right? So there's this story out there. Um, if, if you haven't heard it, I know you have, Mark. But that Steph wanted to get some shots up in Houston the night before game six. They have some kind of scheduling snafu at the arena so that Chris Paul showed up at the same time. Steph offers to share the court. Chris Paul says no. Steph gets kicked out of the arena. And then after the game, Steph is uh, videoed screaming something along the lines of kick me off the court again. But I've now heard that might not be true. So do you have anything on that for us, man? What's going on with that story? No, I'll be honest. Like, I mean, I know Marcus Thompson reported that, and I trust uh, what he writes, but I know him covering the Warriors, that was more kind of from their perspective, but ever since it was published, like, the Rockets have vehemently disputed that. But with that being said, like, there might be some details that, you know, they didn't fully understand and some things lost in translation. Yeah. But I also feel like this example kind of reeks of how Houston reacted to the officiating and just how Chris Paul is on the court. <laughs> right. Like, yep. I tend to believe the Warriors version a lot more than the Rockets version, even if maybe the Warriors had some misunderstandings about certain details or direct intentions. The thing that really bothered me, and, and like, I gotta be, I, I can't be any more clear on this because. There's some Rockets fans that are really getting at me, and that dumb announcer who's such a homer, who's a joke, that was saying how you know we're <laughs> we have this like vested interest and we're so elite about oh, yeah, I don't sure. know, whatever. Yeah. Like I don't care who wins. I'm just talking about from a basketball observer. It was obnoxious seeing Chris Paul play, where he was <laughs> flopping all the time, and I know this is part of his game, but. 
it seemed like it took a turn for the worse this season. Like I, I saw him a lot down when I was in LA. Like I didn't cover the Clippers on a day to day basis, but during the playoffs I would help out and you know, he was always one of the best point guards in the NBA and like even if he did those tactics, like he brought a lot more to the table than just that. You know, I remember seeing him hit a game winner against San Antonio in the first round of playoffs, game seven in twenty fifteen when he had a hamstring injury. So, like, he is a good player, but it seemed like that's the only tricks he had in the book this series, and it was very annoying to watch. Like, every single time he was, like, within a few inches of step, he would just be flailing. It was just obnoxious to see. (laughs) And I think, to a lesser extent, James Harden did that as well. Like, now, to James's credit, he was productive, uh, and whether you like the style or not, like, he got results. But I think on top of that, like, the reason why I have a problem with James Harden's game isn't, like, I get you have to play the numbers, you have to play by, you know, if you can exploit how the game is called, like, that means you're a smart player. But I feel like Lou Williams does it a lot different than how James Harden did. Or, like, Lou, he's just very, he's just a very good tactician and he's crafty where James Harden would do things that felt like he was playing a video game and he just had all the cheat codes. Right. And the thing that people always talk about that defend James Harden when they, when they, you know, people are saying, oh, well, you know, he's much more than just a free throw shooter. He doesn't just flop. He has such an amazing game. Yes, he does have an amazing game. And that's why the that's why I have a problem with him using all those tactics. That's exactly like, right. He is better than that, and he shouldn't have to rely on those tactics to be such a good player. And, yeah, it was it was a weird series for me to watch because, like, unlike you, I don't have a skin in the game. Like, I'm not wearing a Warriors jersey. I'm not looking through things, you know, through their glasses. I'm just looking at it from a basketball standpoint. And, like, watching the Rockets were terrible to watch it was ridiculous i love that take so much mark when you can't see it but i'm giving you finger guns through this microphone nice. right now and i also like well, of course well, you're right by the way i mean if, if i want to make some plugs here while i'm at it like i got the warriors <laughs> hq podcast and my my colleague and friend dear kurvach and i like we were going in and deep on how ridiculous the rockets were to watch just as like a basketball observer so you like that take? It was just like a fraction of what we we're discussing on the pod day to day. Well, we're going to hear about all the places we can find you. Let me just put a bow on your Harden analogy because I agree with you. Watching somebody of his talent look for fouls is like watching a top line artist sell paint by number photos. You know, like he didn't have to yeah. do it. Why? What the hell are you doing that for? You have talent. Why go in that direction? But I am burying yeah. the far. Well, it's it was disgusting. Can I, can it's I give you another, of course, I want to give you another analogy about. James Harden. I've also made this because it kind of applies to our line of work. I always equated how James Harden does things to, you know, a sports writer who just chases clicks and tries to get, you know, traffic by cheap headlines as opposed to doing really good work. And the problem with that is there's, you know, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but maybe there's a writer out there who actually is really good at getting good stories and has a good interview style and asking questions. But then he does like the quick baby stuff. And yep. that's why, you know, the tie to James, it's almost like you're better than that. You shouldn't have to be that guy that does all these cheap little things to pad your stats and all that. Um, 
So yeah, it was just infuriating to watch and just again from a basketball standpoint, it was fun to see the tension and the back and forth and the competitive moments with the Warriors and Rockets. Um, but as far as the the style of play that the Rockets had, I'm just glad I didn't have to watch them for all eighty two. Mark, that's such a it's a, that's such a good point about the clickbaity nature of it. It, it. it seems like it's a race to the bottom, and I just wanna say that really basketball fans everywhere should be celebrating that the Warriors beat the Rockets because the Warriors play a brand of basketball that everybody should be rooting for. That's fine if you don't like the Warriors and you think they're villains, whatever, but they are playing pure artistry basketball and Harden is playing, I mean, the Rockets are literally playing basketball by the numbers. And you got to figure, Adam Silver must have had a huge sigh of relief. Huge. Well, and here's the ironic part. Like, in Houston's defense, what I do admire about them is that they were one of the teams that instead of bemoaning the CBA and how things are so unfair, that the Warriors are so talented, like, they went and made moves. Like, they wanted to compete against the Warriors. And I think defensively, they did a lot of good things in terms of scheming and knowing the switch-heavy tactics that could try to disrupt the Warriors. And I, I know talking to people on the team, like Kevin Durant, was telling me at the beginning of this season, like when he was reflecting on the Western Conference Finals, he was saying like that is the first time I really felt tested defensively. Yeah. So it's just so ironic, ironic that they're doing the right things in terms of hey, if you want to beat the Warriors, you gotta construct a roster that gives yourself a chance to do that. They did a lot of good things defensively, even when they lost Trevor Ariza, but offensively. Just that whole system is just aggravating to watch. And it's a shame because Mike Antony, I know him from the Lakers days, and I can just imagine, like, if he were to go back in time when he was with the Phoenix Suns and see how the Houston Rockets were playing that, like, he would hate it. Like, it goes against his core beliefs of ball movement and, you know, getting everyone involved and the ball finds energy. And, you know, D'Antoni has defended it saying, well, you know, I'm adjusting my system, my personnel, and James Harden's one of the best ISO players ever. And I get that to an extent, but why does it have to come with all the cheap tricks Hell uh, yes. along with that? Well, there is, there is a name for Mike D'Antoni's offense in Phoenix. Seven seconds or less. They shot it immediately. Yeah. They, they, it's the yeah. exact opposite now. It's all iso ball dribbled through the legs of Harden for as long as he can until the final 10 seconds, and then he draws a foul. So, yeah, I, I love the idea of Mike B. being disgusted by the very offense he is currently captaining. Um, Mark. It's not just your podcast people out there want more of. You are amazing every time you come on this show. Let's give them all the arenas they can get Medina in their life, man. Where can they find you? Okay, well, so the Warriors HQ podcast is basically on every platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, we got a really good deal going on at the Mercury News and the East Bay Times. Uh, uh, we, we have a paywall now, but if you subscribe, it's only 11 cents a day for 11 months. And if you subscribe, you get a free commemorative Warriors Championship coffee table book from last year. And, you know, the way things are going, like, I'm sure another one will be in the work and there'll be a new deal on that. But, yeah, 11 cents a day for 11 months plus a free Warriors uh, coffee table book. Uh, Other services, man? I know there's other ways we we can get your stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, also Twitter, Mark G underscore Medina. So, yeah, I think uh, those are the three things you got to go to at yeah. mercurynews.com. 
at eastbaytimes.com. After you've supported Mark, you can hit us up. Um, you want to tell us you hate our podcast, love our podcast, whatever the hell it is, we can be hit at warriorshuddle at gmail.com and also at warriorshuddle is our Twitter account. In fact, next week we're going to get back to the uh, You've Got Hate Mail segment. A couple of people out there really disliked <laughs> a couple of my takes. So we will jump into those next week. But uh, with that in mind, go Warriors. And hopefully we'll see you real soon. Good, good.